Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, October 19th. Monday was National Bosses Day. That was a landmine just waiting for you to step on. If you gave your boss a gift and no one else did, you looked bad. If you didn't give your boss a gift and everyone else did, you looked bad. There's no return on investment either way. Maybe the best strategy was to call in sick. Is there a return on investment in value-based reimbursement models? There's your segue in case you missed it. The Congressional Budget Office issued a report that attempts to answer that question. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's show, the ROI of VBC. To answer that question for our growing audience of healthcare revolutionaries are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? I'm still basking in the afterglow of this year's remarkable Chicago Marathon. World record in the men's race, Kevin Kimpton ran two hours and 35 seconds just shattered the previous record. And we also had the second fastest women's marathon time in history, two hours, 13 minutes, 44 seconds. It goes by either end of my street and I couldn't have been happier. Riveted to the TV screen for the finish. No, sorry, I missed it, Dave. Julie, how are you? I'm well, but I'm in the middle of a graduate school WhatsApp disaster as 500 of us try to debate what's going on in Israel over WhatsApp text, which is turning out to not be a good idea on anyone's part. And uh, what's happening over there is just, it's crazy. Took my kids to 9-11 Memorial this weekend and uh, tried to explain to them how what's happening in Israel is like, they're 9-11. It's, it's intense here, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Scary times. Now, before we talk about this new CBO report, Let's talk about National Bosses Day. Dave, when you worked in corporate America, was that a thing? National Bosses Day? Did anyone ever take it seriously? There was a lot of sucking up, but nothing on National Bosses Day. Never was a big thing for me. Still isn't. I've got the worst boss myself I've ever had. Constantly on my butt to do more. (laughs) Uh, Self-reflection. Thanks, Dave. Julie, did you ever give or receive anything on National Bosses Day? You know, it's funny. I didn't really even realize it was a thing until one day a few years ago at Health Evolution, my team surprised me with amazing cupcakes for National Bosses Day. And I thought to myself, wow, that's a thing. So, no. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're doing something right. That's great. I never gave or received anything on National Bosses Day, but I did witness some over-the-top gift giving by salespeople when it was the uh, publisher's birthday. The publisher decided who got what accounts and territories assigned to the sales staff. You know, those assignments decided their potential income for the year. One salesperson gave the publisher two birthday cards at one office party. And it caused quite a stir because no one else had thought to do that. It was out of the box thinking and the publisher noticed. Uh, She got quite a return on her investment for spending a few extra bucks on a second card. I mean, it was brilliant. And that was more than 30 years ago. And I remember it to this day. And that's why I'm not in sales. Okay, let's talk about this new CBO report. The CBO looked at the budgetary impact of the work of CMS's Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation 
or CMMI. The CBO looked at the first 10 years of CMMI's operations from 2011 through 2020 and the cost and savings of 49 different value-based care initiatives launched by CMMI over that time period. Here's what the CBO found. CMMI spent about $7.9 billion to launch and operate those programs. The programs reduced Medicare spending by about $2.6 billion. That means CMMI raised Medicare spending by about $5.4 billion over its first 10 years. Things got a little better over the next 10 years. From 2021 through 2030, the CBO projects that CMMI will spend $8.3 billion, it will save $7 billion, and the net increase in Medicare spending will be just $1.3 billion. Dave, what's your reaction to what the CBO said? How will the report affect CMMI's work moving forward? And if you can make one policy move, what would you do to up the ROI of what CMMI does? I'm not surprised at all by the CBO's report's findings. It's been known for quite a while that CMMI coming out of the box had way too many programs. They were too incremental in scope, too small in scale, too short in duration, too complex, too lenient on providers. When Brad Smith was running CMMI, he did a review of the programs and discovered only five of them had a positive return and only one of them had a positive return at scale, which was the Maryland program. More on that in a second. Um, And my guess is the societal cost overall was probably much higher. You know, just think about all the consultants and the conferences and everything else that people have attended to participate in these programs, evaluate them, apply, administer. So it's, it's probably an even bigger negative. And I got to say, many of these alternative payment programs contained my favorite economic expression of all time, moral hazard, otherwise known as heads I win, tails you lose, corollary, you know, upside only. So they were really only in it to win it. And I, I just wonder how hard many tried when doing this. But let's get back to Maryland. The CBO report doesn't include Maryland. And I have no idea why that is, because Maryland in and of itself, the waiver signed in 2014, renewed in 2019, has saved at this point $2 billion plus and counting. So I don't know if that's in the CBO number or not. If it's not in, I don't know why it's counted out. But that, to me, so far is clearly the biggest win that CMMI has had. They've also learned a lot of lessons along the way, what works and what doesn't work. And clearly, they're on record now as saying their programs need to be bigger, longer, simpler to understand, allow a lot less maneuvering when in them. So let me deviate here for a second and tell you why what CMMI is trying to do is so hard and why we need to give them a little more time to figure it out. I've already told you my first favorite economic term, moral hazard. I get to use my second one here, which is tragedy of the commons. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's when individual behavior works against a broader societal purpose. So if you've got a free grazing field and individual farmers overuse it to the point where it can't be used anymore, that's what's known as a tragedy of the commons, where individual behaviors trump and overwhelm a public good. 
Well, healthcare's got a very unique version of this. Payers and providers both say they really want to do more care management. They want to invest more in population health. They understand the importance of social determinants of health, healthy multipliers, as I like to call them. And yet they don't invest it anywhere near the amount they should, given the potential for these programs to drive better health outcomes at lower costs. So why does that happen? Well, from the provider's perspective, they feel any investments they make in these types of programs that ultimately cut hospital admissions actually hurt them economically and benefit insurers, so they don't do it. The payers, the insurers, kind of look at their members who can change plans annually and say, well, if I make investments in their long-term health, they're just going to switch plans on me. So they don't do it either. So even though everyone agrees that we should have more of this type of pro-health investment, it doesn't happen because of this kind of quirky tragedy of the commons problem. So what CMMI needs to do is to create payment programs that are long enough and strong enough that they align ultimately both the payers and the providers' incentives to invest in pro-health policies. I'm intrigued by the initiative that CMMI just announced, the AHEAD program. It's got some ridiculous acronym associated with it, but it's basically an attempt to try to expand the success of Maryland to as many as eight other states. So all payer, global budgets, focus on primary care, focus on population health metrics, focus on equity. And it's way too early to tell, but that is the type of program, if it gets a big uptake, that could dramatically change the payment model and, and deliver dramatically improved outcomes at lower cost. It's a little bit like venture capital, which, of course, Julie is expert on. You just need a home run every once in a while to offset all the losses. So maybe the AHEAD program will be CMMI's home run. And you asked about upping ROI, Dave. What I do, I would do everything in my power to get some of the big payviders like an Intermountain in Utah to participate in this program, promise them the world, get them in, learn from them, and then try to replicate that in other states. And then one last point, those projections going forward that it's going to lose a little bit of money over the next 10 years, don't take those to the bank. That's just more kind of dumb straight line forecasting in a dynamic market environment. So CBO, take it for what it's worth. CMMI, keep trying. I think they're going to get there at some point. Got it. Tragedy of the commons. I'm going to try to use that on my fishing trip when we try to catch fish out of an overfished lake, right? That's a that's the same principle, right? Exactly. Tragedy of the commons. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? You know, Dave, you and I see this very similarly. I saw a couple of things recently. One is, you know, earlier this year, Republicans are putting a lot of pressure on CMMI. And second, you know, years ago, when the CBO estimated that CMMI would save $34 billion over 10 years, a former CBO and Medicare official from the American Enterprise Institute came out and said, 
that it was a total shot in the dark and it was an extrapolation from historical CMMI and not the future CMMI that no one at the time knew what the plan was going to be. So it makes it sound like, you know, say any savings there were calculated off the pioneer ACO program. And frankly, like this is all basically trying to rewrite history. Is that what's happening here? Are people coming down on them for political reasons that really aren't based in true fact? What's the old Mark Twain line that Figures lie and liars figure. <laughs> I think there's definitely some political shenanigans going on. You know, I'm not sure where that 2016 projection came from, Julie. I'm going to speculate here in a second, which you know I'm very comfortable doing. But the original projected savings for that 10-year period of time from passage and enactment in 2011 or 2010 to 2020 was for $2.8 billion. Obviously, they didn't save money. So I don't know how you get a number like $35 billion in there, you know, five years later when they're really just off and running. You know, they like to say the CBO is a non-political organization, but, you know, 2016 was a strange year, right? Trump was elected, so that was Obama's last year. The Cubs won the World Series, and now you got this wacko CBO forecast. And you do have to wonder... You remember in 2016, the pressure to outlaw Obamacare to by the Republican Congress, which actually almost happened, but for John McCain. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Obama allies in Congress somehow trumped up this number and said, no, you got to hang with us. We're going to save tens of billions of dollars. I have no idea whether that's true, but it sort of tracks with what your AEI friend is telling you. And certainly... That individual would probably be of a political mindset to believe that those kind of shenanigans are going on. So figures lie and liars figure. Fun with numbers. Thanks, Dave. Julie, what's your reaction to what the CBO report said? Is this the right way to measure the performance of CMMI? And will this somehow impact how investors measure the ROI of the companies they invest in? Well, first, I'm with Dave. They're not measuring everything into this number. You know, the Medicare shared savings program wasn't measured into the savings and that's arguably, you know, wasn't informed by CMMI activities and accounted for a lot of savings. So when you're not going to play with all the numbers that CMMI has impacted, you're going to get a different read, right? And that I think that's a lot of what's happening here. Sounds to me like the CBO does not have enough healthcare depth. Or it's just not following the money all the way through the system because it said that it didn't realize that the CMMI models would contradict within health systems, creating conflicts for providers as well as payment policy changes. So really? (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of the point, right? It's exactly the point. So that's one of the three things that CBO didn't realize. Like we're in trouble. They're not quite analyzing this to its fullest extent. But I thought Liz Fowler was pretty eloquent when she talked about, you know, this is the first 10 years of testing and learning, and we've laid a strong foundation for innovation, all, you know, to support now where they're headed with broader, more equitable health system transformation. And that, you know, each model that's been tested has yielded some sort of important policy or operational insight, which is helping them for their target, like where are the costs and where's the quality to be had and you know they're they're learning a ton and as many of us working to transform this industry know we're undergoing a massive tectonic shift in market incentives and payment approaches and cmmi is 
key in the design, but CMS and Congress, frankly, are critical to making the payment reform happen. And I think that's the missing, one of the missing pieces here that's not really being talked about. You know, it's a long-term game and I'm with Dave. CMMI should be acknowledging wins and additional discovery along the way and redefining where savings lie and stones that need to be unturned and where the larger hurdles are and where there's more opportunity. And it reminds me of Rashika Fernandapuli, the founder of Iora, that one medical acquired. And he once said to me years ago, he said, we've just got to really change the time frame we're dealing with. Everyone needs to change their expectations. This stuff is hard and it's complicated and it takes time. And Rushik is right. So, you know, I don't know. Will investors stop investing? No. Investors will invest anywhere where there's money to be made, whether in good to transform the industry like we believe in or in things that just make money like other investors believe in. And until CMS decides that it's going to move in a stronger direction towards fee for value, investors are going to continue to invest in the private markets in you know, one way or the other, as long as there's money there. So they need to be really cognizant of, of how much money now is being put to work in healthcare and how to play a role in making sure that they're putting the right incentives in place to make that money worthwhile. Got it. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? Well, our late great friend, Gary Bisbee, said the best advice his minister father ever gave him was, don't let the bastards get you down, Gary. I can't tell you how many times he said that. Interesting advice from Gary's father, you know, a man of the cloth. So, Julie, what does CMMI need to do to not let those CBO bastards get them down the next time they audit CMMI's performance? Well, the government does not typically submit what I would call like a change order form, right? You don't see Brad Smith or Adam Bowler or Liz Fowler in the CBO's office saying, oh, just wanted to check in and let you know this is a new year and this is where we think the estimates are. Like, I don't know that that's how it works or doesn't, but my guess is it doesn't work that way. So CMMI really, as I said before, Dave, I think should be claiming wins, shouting from the hills about where some should be focused and continuing to make that tinkering known so that it's not caught with its pants down trying to prove numbers that are just not achievable. Yeah, I think they've been pretty transparent. You have to give them credit for all the pivoting they do on different programs. So, yeah, I think their heart is in the right place. You know, and I get investing for the future, but I do think 20 years is a long time to wait for your return. So in this case, I do think the market, like you said, Julie, can do a better job of saving healthcare dollars than the federal government. Now let's briefly talk about other news that happened this week. It wasn't all bad, was it? Julie, what else happened that we should be talking about? Well, I have two W's this week, not necessarily for wins, but some of you may have seen that Tim Wentworth was named CEO of Walgreens after Roz Brewer was excused. And uh, he to us from Express Scripts, so it was acquired by Cigna. Like, Big guy, been around for a long time, not a retail guy, definitely a healthcare guy, but also a PBM guy. So it'll be interesting to watch how Walgreens works with that. Second is we have another healthcare IPO filed by Waystar, which is, you know, Birkenstock just went out and was unfortunately for Birkenstock, whereas like me, a bit of a disappointment. So hopefully Waystar does better. Got it. We will definitely watch that. Dave, what else happened this week that's worth noting? Well, I had a very interesting conversation with Amitabh Chandra, who was stuck in one of the Harvard teaching hospitals a couple of weeks ago with the most intense abdominal pain you could imagine. 
had five doctors look at him, tell him he didn't have an appendicitis, tried to send him home. They said it was just indigestion. And in the rare chance that it wasn't indigestion, it was a gallstone. So what does Amitabh do? He goes on chat GPT, puts in all his symptoms, and it comes out that he's got a 40% chance of having a burst appendix and just a 2% chance of a gallstone. And he knows it's not indigestion. So he stays in the hospital and ultimately demands that they do a CT scan, abdominal CT scan. And guess what? He had a burst appendix. If he'd gone home, he might have died. So the idea that these doctors can do diagnostics better than the machines, I think, is just increasingly crazy. And if you need a big time economist to hold up a personal example, call Amitabh Chandra. He'll tell you chapter and verse. I mean, it's scary. Wow, that's amazing. My symptom tracker would have killed him, right? Because mine says, you're fine, go to bed. You're a homegrown symptom tracker. <laughs> yeah, homegrown, yeah. No investors. Right. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, David. Thanks, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.